You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing today? Thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys. For those of you that are watching with us online, thanks so much for tuning in this morning. Um, before I jump into the message for today, I uh, just want to thank all of you um, for the birthday wishes, those of you that sent messages or gave gifts or just pats on the back or cards or um, you know all of the above. Um, thanks so much. 40 feels great. I'm five days in, um, 360 more to go. And so um, the countdown is on. I'm excited to be old and mature now. Um, yeah, so... Maybe my kids will start listening to me. I don't know. Um, Today, we're in part four of a series uh, in the Psalms that we have creatively titled The Psalms, where we are taking a look at five different Psalms, not for what they communicate in regard to um, expressions of worship, which is typically what we think of whenever we, we look through and we read the Psalms, but, but rather we're taking a look at these five Psalms in particular um, in order to build a biblical worldview. And that's the journey, the path that we have been on over the past several weeks. And a worldview is, is simply the means by which we interpret our interactions and experiences with the world and the people that are around us. And at Christ Walk Church, we believe that the Bible, the Holy Scripture, should be the primary lens through which we view every aspect of life. And all the way back in part one of this series, we looked at Psalm 1, where the author talks about um, two, two paths, the path of the righteous versus the path of the wicked. And together we learned that our, our desire determines our direction and our direction will determine our destination. In part two, we looked at Psalm chapter two, um, which is a revelation of God's supreme authority over all of the universe. And, and we learned that, that when it comes to God, there is no refuge from him. There is only refuge in him. And then last week, we took a look at quite possibly the most well-known and popular of all of the Psalms, Psalms chapter 23. Um, And we discovered there that when we submit our lives to the leadership and the guidance of the great shepherd, that we can have the assurance of his provision, his protection, his presence, and his pursuit of us. And so if you missed any of those messages, I would highly encourage you go back to our YouTube channel or find our podcast on Spotify or wherever it is that you um, access your podcasts and and listen to those so that you can catch up. Um, Today, if you've got a a smart device or or a a Bible, you can turn with me or swipe with me um, to Psalms chapter 8, and we are going to land there in just a moment. Psalm chapter 8. I recently came across a story about um, the young son of an atheist couple who one night at dinner was, was sitting there kind of uh, picking around at his meatloaf and mashed potatoes with his fork with a, a puzzled, almost quizzical look on his face. It was clear that there was something wrong and, and his mother, sensing what was going on, said, son, what, what seems to be bothering you? And the son hesitated for a moment and kind of took a deep breath and 
made eye contact with his mom and his dad, and he said, honestly, I'm just sitting here wondering if God knows that you and dad don't believe in him. I thought that was going to be a little bit more lighthearted than maybe it landed. Um, That's pretty heavy stuff, though. Um, An atheist uh, is a person who denies or disbelieves the existence of a supreme or supreme beings. And then a a, a word that's often hitched to that is agnostic. We we hear a lot of of terminology, atheist and agnostic, being thrown around. And agnostic is a person who holds that the existence of the ultimate cause as God and the essential nature of things, that they are unknown and unknowable, or that human knowledge is limited at least to the things that we experience. And I did a little bit of research. According to Pew Research, uh, a well-known and well-respected research company, over the past decade in the United States, the number of adults that identify themselves as atheist has risen from around 2% to a little over 4% in the past 10 years. In that same time, those identifying themselves as agnostic in the United States has risen over the past 10 years from about 3% to a little over 5%. And so where we stand right now is that roughly one out of every 10 people in the United States are either fully convinced or at least highly skeptical of the fact that God exists. And and these numbers are even higher in other parts of the world, particularly in Western Europe, where the percentage of atheists and agnostic populations in some countries is approaching 20% or or one out of every uh, five people. But if you ask me, I don't believe in atheists. Some of y'all get that on the drive home. My wife and I, we happen to just live right, we just live right off of Amelia Island. And so um, every day, uh, typically six days a week or so, um, I have the incredible privilege of driving over the bridge onto the island each morning on the way to the office, on the way to the church to get my day started. And, and when, you, when you get to the, the precipice of the bridge and you, and you look out and you see Amelia Island kind of unfolding and stretching out in front of you. And, and, and as I do that every day, I often look at that and the sun's coming up and I, I often think to myself, how can anyone see a sight like this? and deny the existence or wonder if there really is a God. Like, honestly, it, it just makes no sense to me. And, and the psalmist in, in Psalm uh, chapter 19, verses one through four, um, he said the same thing. He said, the, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. No matter where you and I find ourselves on this planet, we are enshrouded with 
the creation of God. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, that creation proclaims his glory to all of the creation around it. We simply cannot escape that resounding message of creation declaring the glory of God. Uh, Ruth Bell Graham, wife of uh, well-known evangelist Billy Graham, she said this. She said, it, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. And I would submit to you that if you and I don't have the right view of God and his place, his existence in the world, then, then we cannot have the right view of ourselves because we were made in his image. We, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 27 and 28, and we read, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. I'm just going to let that be because I don't have time today, but just know what it says. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So this is the the basis for where we're headed here in in Psalm chapter eight here in just a moment. And as we've been putting together this biblical worldview, uh, we've established already three important building blocks that one thing um, builds on the other, and it's creating this foundation for us um, through which we are to view and interact with the world. And it it starts off with um, the the first building, building block that we've established is that selecting the path of the righteous over the path of the wicked leads to living a life that honors God. And then... The second building block is that submission to the supreme, uh, submission to the supreme authority and sovereignty of God. And then the third building block that we've established the importance of is is surrender to the guidance and leadership of the great Shepherd who is Jesus Christ. And so, by putting those three building blocks into place, you and I quickly discover the simple the simple truth that that God is God, and we are not. And, and while this is a powerful recognition, and it's a great place for us to arrive at, that there's, there's someone in control of all of this that is not us. That's a great place for us to arrive when it comes to a biblical worldview. It also brings up some further clarifying questions. When we establish the fact that God is God and we are not, the questions that it brings up is questions like, well, then who is God? And then since, since I am not God, who am I and what is my relationship to God? And then thirdly, what is my purpose for existence in this world? All of those are incredible questions, all excellent questions necessary for strengthening our biblical worldview. And luckily for us, every single one of those questions happens to be addressed in Psalm chapter eight. And so we're gonna look there. Right now, starting with verse one, David writes, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. And when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the the moon and the stars that you set into place, verse four, 
What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Verse 7. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And when we look at Psalm 8, um, what I see when I look at it is three revelations of God in relationship to mankind that then would support those three questions that often get brought up. So if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, three revelations of God in relationship to mankind. And the first one of these revelations that come to us out of Psalm 8 that supports the whole of the remainder of, of Scripture is simply that God created us. God created us and establishing a biblical worldview, it's important to know that there is a God, he is large and in charge and he is solely responsible for you and me and our existence on this planet. God created us in verses one through three and and then verse nine of, of Psalm eight. I'll read those to you again. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. These verses, they establish God as the creator. They establish God as the creator. And David, he uses two different words or or two different titles here. He says, O Lord, our Lord. Go back to the the one right before it. There you go. O Lord, our Lord. He's, He's not just repeating himself. Those are actually in the original Hebrew. They're two different words. The the first one is Jehovah. Oh, Jehovah, the, the covenant God of Israel. And the second Lord is Adonai, the sovereign master of creation. So what David is, is saying right here at the beginning of the psalm is he, he's recognizing you are the covenant God of Israel who is the master over all of creation. That's what he is ascribing to the Lord. And then he continues and he says, your majestic name fills the earth. This is an establishment of the very character, the very nature of God that that is being reflected in or by or through his creation. So God, we recognize that you you are the supreme authority. You are in control. You are the creator. You are the master of all creation. And the things that you have created, they reflect your glory back to you and send a resounding message to all of the rest of creation of your nature and your character and everything that you are. David says, your glory is higher than the heavens. What he's saying is that God's glory surpasses the the vastness or the fullness of, of that which encompasses not just the earth, but the entire universe, which is something very difficult for us to wrap our head around. But that's what David is communicating. He says, yet children and infants 
saying even the, the weakest of all human beings, those that, whose cognitive development isn't even fully realized yet, the weakest of us all, the most vulnerable of us all, despite the, the vastness of all that God is, even they can recognize and understand who God is. Yet it's, it's often older, more sophisticated and educated and mature adults that seem to be the ones that have the problem with recognizing that there is a God out there and that he exists. It's, it's, why, it's why Jesus placed so much importance on us like he did in Luke 18, verse 17, to, to have the faith like a child because he knew that, that even from the beginning that children, they have no problem acknowledging the fact of the existence of a higher power. David writes, he says, when I look at the night sky, picture young shepherd boy David out in the fields taking care of his father Jesse's flocks. He's laying there in the evening after he's, he's watered the sheep and he's tended to, um, tended to their needs and, and he's gotten them in the fold and, and they've, they've laid down for the evening and he's laying there with his sheep and he's looking up at the night sky and he's, he's seeing things like, like a, a, a backlit canopy with holes punched in it. That's what it looks like to him, the, the, the night sky with the stars. He's, he's looking at that and he's, he's recounting how he would lay in the fields and that he would discover this. And, and, and David, even, even as a youth, even thousands of years ago, he recognized that the existence of the moon and the stars, they were a work of God's handiwork, his craftsmanship. He didn't attribute this to any other means or phenomena. He looked at the sky and he said, of course there is a God out there. There can be no other feasible explanation of this. And he looks at that and he says, you, you placed it in the heavens by the work of your fingers, the work of your fingers. We just experienced the work of people's fingers just a short time ago when this band was leading us in worship, we had um, some guitar players and a, a bass guitar player and a piano player and a, a drummer and, and they were all using the work of their fingers and they made it look so easy, right? You see people up here who know what they're doing. They have, they have charge over and mastery over their instrument and when you see someone play like that, they make it look so easy, that's what David is saying. He's saying that, that, that the result of, uh, uh, of creation or, or the, the thing that initiated creation, it was the work of God's fingers that, that all he had to do was just wiggle his fingers and creation came into existence. That's how easy it was for him. Here in the beginning of this passage, David, he's not trying to complicate things. What he's saying is, is simply this. God created the fullness of everything that you and I see. It wasn't a hard task for him to do. His creation echoes both his, his existence and his character. Even little babies can com comprehend this truth. And anyone taking a different stance can just hush about it. That's what he's saying. He says, you're, you're going to silence those who oppose you. You're going to silence your enemies. Frederick Netcher said this. He said, unbiased and uncorrupted minds recognize God without difficulty from his 
creation. God created us, and that's what David is pointing us to. And a major building block of our biblical worldview is that there is a God out there who is large and in charge, and he made everything. He spoke it into existence, and we are the work of his fingers. So David's trying to get us to recognize that. The second thing, not only did God create us, but number two, God cares for us. God cares for us. In verses four and five of Psalm eight, David writes this. He says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them, yet you made them only a little lower than God. Whereas those first few verses recognize God as creator, these verses here recognize God as caregiver says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that, that you should care for them? See, despite the limits of science of his time, David recognized the vastness of the universe in comparison to the insignificance of man. He recognized how big the universe was and how that was relative to him and how small he was in the midst of that universe. And modern scientific advancements have been able to give us an even greater understanding of what David knew to be true all of those thousands of years ago. If, if you and I this morning, if, if this was not a church and instead it was a space shuttle and we were here together and we were traveling 18,000 miles an hour, which is roughly... 300 miles a minute or five miles a second, if my math is correct. If we were traveling 18,000 miles an hour in this space shuttle, it would take approximately 37,200 human years for us to travel one light year. Okay, 37,200 years for us to travel one light year. The furthest detectable galaxy from us is GN-Z11, which is approximately 13.4 billion light years. And at the rate that I mentioned, which is an astronomical speed in and of itself, to travel that distance would be a number that you and I can't even, at least, I'm not going to put that on you. It's a number that I can't even comprehend. It's a whole bunch of zeros, Okay, like a whole bunch, like as many as you can think of, and it's still more than that. That's how long that it would take, all right? And I know what you might be thinking, well, Pastor Blake, yeah, but that's the, that's the furthest galaxy, the furthest star away from us. What about the closest star? Okay, cool. The closest star to Earth, Alpha Centauri, is approximately 4.35 light years away. NASA has a New Horizons spacecraft that travels where we were talking about a space shuttle that travels 18,000 miles an hour. NASA's New Horizons spacecraft travels twice that fast at 36,373 miles per hour. Or those of you that are stuck on the metric system, that's 58,536 kilometers an hour. Nerds. <clears throat> the New Horizons spacecraft was launched from the Earth in mid-January of 2006. And it reached Pluto, which 
was a planet, and then it wasn't a planet, and then it was a dwarf planet, and then it wasn't a planet anymore, and I don't know. I need to, kids in the front row, maybe y'all can tell me. They're saying it's a planet again. I wish that scientists would just make up their mind. It's a dog. That's right. That's, yes. New Horizons was launched from Earth in mid-January 2006, and it reached Pluto in mid-July 2015, which was nine and a half years later, all right? Traveling 36,373 miles per hour. It took it nine and a half years to get just to Pluto. If New Horizons were aimed toward the Alpha Centauri system and launched from Earth, it would take this spacecraft about 78,000 years to get there. That's the closest star to the Earth. There's two significant facts here. Two significant facts here. In contrast to the universe, mankind is tiny. Fact. The second fact is this. In contrast to God, the universe is tiny. In contrast to the universe, mankind is tiny. But in contrast to God, the universe is tiny. Yet, despite this disparity, God still cares for us. Out of all of his creation, we were made just a little bit lower than God himself, than than Elohim is what the Hebrew word there is. We were made just a little bit lower than Elohim. Humans, you and I, we are the only part of God's creation that was created in his image. This big God who's so much bigger than the universe that is so much bigger than us, he's still like, there's just something about us as his creation that he cares for us. He loves us. The Bible says that in in Isaiah 43, 1, that that God knows our name. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He knows our name. God knows the number of hairs on our head. Or in some cases, the lack thereof. Can I get a witness from anybody in the house? Amen. Luke 12, 7. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. For some of you, it's zero. I'm sorry. I'm quickly catching up with you. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. He knows our name. He knows the number of hairs that are on our head. And God has a specific and unique plan for our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I love this quote from, from B.S. Childs. It says this, God's remembering always implies his movement towards the object of his memory. We're on God's mind this morning. He is thinking of us. He is remembering us as the the prize part of his creation. And because of that, he is moving toward us today. You need to face it here this morning. God, he is crazy about you. He's crazy about you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, God is crazy about you. Now turn to your second choice. (laughs) On the other side, 
and say, even though you were my second choice, God is still crazy about you. He just loves you. He just loves us so much so that he would send his son to die in our place. Not only did he create us, but he was purposeful and intentional about us. It it wasn't an accident. You and I are here for a reason. We have a purpose. And the only way to truly know ourselves and to know the purpose, to know the things, the reason why we exist, why we're here, the purpose that God has placed inside of us, the only way that we can truly know ourselves is to know God first because we were created in his image. And to know him is to know us because we are the best part of his creation. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. He says, apart from knowing God, we have no understanding of who we are or what we are to do in this great universe. We need to understand that, number one, God created us. But number two, he didn't just create us and sit us to the side on a shelf somewhere. He created us and he he cares for us. And we are on his mind this morning. And he is actively pursuing us today. That's what Psalm 8 is about. Number one. God created us. Number two, God cares for us. And number three, God crowns us. God crowns us. The second half of verse five all the way to verse eight says, and God crowned them, speaking of you and me, humans, mankind, he crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. Whereas the first part of the chapter identifies God as creator. The second part identifies God as caregiver. This last part of the chapter identifies God as commissioner, that that he's giving us responsibility in this world. Originally, you and I, we were created as kings and we were given rulership over God's creation as his agents on the earth. John the Revelator writes about it this way in Revelation chapter one, verses five and six. It says, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness to these things, the the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. See, when you and I were created, we were were created as kings and we were commissioned to steward that everything that God had created all of his creation, he entrusted us with it and said, you are, you are an authority agent. You are my authority agent here on this earth. And we were crowned with glory and honor and we were given the responsibility to steward his creation. God didn't create just to create, just because he could. He created out of the overflow of his love for his creation of which we are paramount. And when he created us, all things were placed under our authority. And God entrusted us with his creation, both for our enjoyment and our employment. You go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God said, 
He placed man and woman in the garden and he said, you need to enjoy this and then you need to take care of it. Those were the responsibilities that we were given. And though we were given authority over the earth because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, we mishandled that authority and we fell into sin as a result. See, before the fall of man, humans were in total authority over the beasts of the land, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. And then now, just as a small example, as the result of sin, we now experience a tension here. I mean, if you didn't realize that this was even why things were the way that they were or are the way that they are, but because of sin, sin pushed everything out of whack where we were supposed to be in authority and and complete dominion over this, we messed it up because we allowed sin to come in. We we made the choice to do things our way instead of doing things God's way. And and as a result, now there's there's tension here between us and the beasts of the land and the the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. It's it's why we take caution when walking through the forest or or the jungle because there's lions and tigers and bears. And they can harm us. You guys are on top of it this morning. (laughs) It's why some of us, I will self-identify. It's why some of us think twice before swimming in the ocean. Because nobody's ever been bitten by a shark on the land. That's why I stay on the beach. Okay? It's why some people believe that we should avoid animals altogether And just be vegetarians and not consume animal products of any kind. As for me and my house, we ascribe to the Jim Gaffigan philosophy that animals are fun to pet and better to chew. (laughs) That's how we roll. We messed it up. It It wasn't supposed to be this way. Back at, at the beginning of time, like when, 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 a, when a lion came up to Adam, he just petted it. <laughs> it was like, hey, you're a lion. He named it. And they lived in harmony with one another. And that's how it was supposed to be, that, that we were supposed to have that authority over all of God's creation. But because we allowed sin to come into the picture, we messed it up. And so now we've spent the entire time of our existence trying to get back to that place. And, and we've, we've done so many things to put our hand to it and to, to raise up these different kingdoms and, and for us as humans to establish our control. And we failed to realize that it's because we got out from under God's plan. And the only hope for redemption and restoration through, for mankind and their rulership over God's creation is through Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. That's the only way. That's the only path. Romans 5.17, Paul writes this. He says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, it caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus, it restores the balance of how things were supposed to be. And and Jesus Christ is coming on the scene. And and, and he's he's establishing, reestablishing that order from God's creation from the very beginning. You'll notice that that when you read um, the Gospels, 
Jesus was here. He was a human being. Even though he was, he was 100% man, he was also 100% God. And, and, and he came to this earth and he walked among us. And during that time, during his 33 years here on this earth, he, he was given authority. He worked to reestablish that authority that, that you and I originally had, but we forfeited because of our choice to sin and go our own way. Jesus reestablished authority over the beasts of the land. When he was driven out into the wilderness before he began his earthly ministry, after his baptism, and he was driven out in the wilderness to be tempted, the Bible says that he was there among the wild animals. He wasn't afraid of them. They were submitted to his authority. In Mark 11, we read this. Jesus instructs the disciples, go into that village over there, he told them. And as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And so they did. And the donkey was there where it was supposed to be because Jesus had that authority. It wasn't there by happenstance. It was there because Jesus commanded that it was going to be there. It was a donkey that had never been ridden. And he came and they brought it to him and he got on it and he rode it. The triumphal entry took place and people laid their palm branches and their coats and their cloaks and everything down to welcome him into Jerusalem as king. Not only did he establish his authority over the beasts of the land, he established his authority over the birds of the air. Luke 22, verse 34, here's an example. But Jesus said to Peter, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. You think that rooster was going to crow a third time before Peter had fulfilled what Jesus spoke? No. The Bible is clear. As soon as that happened, as soon as Peter had denied him three times, the rooster let out its cock-a-doodle-doo because Jesus is in control. He establishes authority over the fish in the sea. One example is from John 21. It says, then Jesus said to the disciples, to the fishermen, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Jesus walked upon this earth and he was showing, this is what it looks like to be in right relationship and to have the authority that you're supposed to have over God's creation. After his death and resurrection, it wasn't just about authority over beasts and birds and fish. After his death and resurrection, supreme and final authority was given to Jesus. Matthew 28, 18, just before Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, spending the last few moments of his time on this earth with his disciples. And as part of the great commission, Jesus comes to them and he told his disciples, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on the earth. In all of God's creation, I have been bestowed all the authority. Where the first Adam failed, Jesus, the second Adam, will one day return and will fulfill mankind's calling and solidify its destiny. And under his control, every knee will one day bow, every tongue will one day confess, either by choice or by force, that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
That's the hope of the redemption that you and I have to look forward to for those of us that have placed our trust in him as Lord and Savior. Warren Wearsby says it this way. He says, God the Father created us to be kings, but the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, robbed us of our crowns. God the Son came to earth and redeemed us to be kings. And today the Holy Spirit of God can empower us to reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. When you crown Jesus Lord of all, you are a sovereign and not a slave, a victor and not a victim. Ultimately, what he's getting at is very simple. It's something that we say around here all the time. Because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. That's the hope that you and I have to cling to. Even though we messed it up, even though we were supposed to be living one way and we got out from under that, God sent his son Jesus so that he can bring that back into right standing and in right order. Here's the takeaway. As I read Psalm 8, very simple. I believe it's a message that someone needs to hear this morning. And it's simply this. The universe is big. But God and his love for you and me is even bigger. The universe is big, but God and his love for you and me, it's even bigger. Not only did he create us, he cares for us. So much so that that he crowned us with glory and honor. And that when we missed the mark and we forfeited that glory and honor, he, he sent his only son to, to bring that back into right standing so that we could have our glory and our honor. We could have that crown restored. It's how much he loves us. And even though we missed the mark because of sin, God is still calling us today. The, un- the God who created the universe, he's still calling out to us today, the, the people that he made in his image to embrace our calling to live for something more, to live for more than just what appears to be on the surface, to live for something that's going to, to last much longer than this earth. We were created as kings. And for those of us who place our trust in Christ alone, a savior, and we surrender to live life his way, then one day we are going to reign in heaven with the King of Kings. That's our purpose. That's what we've been called to. Not to live a mediocre, watered down, second rate life, but to live in the calling beneath the crown and the care of Jesus Christ so that our original destiny can be fulfilled. If you're here this morning in this room or you're watching with us online, 
Today, you'd like to enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, that you realize that the life that you have been living, it's outside of of the path and the plan that God has for you. And that the only way to get that on the right track is to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus and to make him the Lord of your life. If that's you, I wanna invite you to do that here with us this morning. We're gonna pray a very simple prayer. It's gonna be here on the screen next to me if you need it. We just pray this together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.